Good morning. I echo uh, Pastor Tim's greeting to you this morning. It's so good to see each and every one of you. My name is Joel Buffington. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, trust that today, that uh, as we meet together, as we continue to worship together, as we reflect on the scriptures, that you will leave here being encouraged, that you will find strength to face another day, another week, and that... uh, you will learn to run to the rock, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about uh, today. I, I, I don't know uh, about you, but if, if you weren't here for the Sunday school hour, uh, like I say, I don't know about you, but I had fun. Um, you got to come and join us. Um, we're having a, a good time kicking off electives for the next seven weeks, uh, today is done. For the next seven weeks, we'll be doing electives during our Sunday school hours, and some very powerful subjects that we're dealing with. The issue of forgiveness. Just let that sink in for a second. It's incredibly powerful uh, issues that we all can struggle with and need to learn and be stretched in the, uh, dealing with forgiveness. How about learning how to study the scriptures? The Bible, the only book that God ever wrote. Um, what, a, what, a, what a challenge that is. And so I encourage you to, to plug into one of those. Uh, my class is entitled My Life, Christ's Home. And we're discussing about uh, well, a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but having fun looking at the floor plan of our, our life and uh, how Christ can come in and, and, and work there. And then Beth is leading a wonderful lady study called, called Brave honest questions that women ask. And so uh, if you haven't plugged into that, I encourage you, please do so. Uh, I, I think you'll be encouraged and blessed by the things that are, that are going on there. So here we are. It's the first of March, uh, first Sunday in March, that is. Uh, can you believe it? I mean, you blink and it, it was Christmas and New Year's and we're in March all my Facebook friends are just like, oh, it's March Madness time. I don't have time to watch the games. Are you kidding me? Where does the, where does the year go? And by the way, where's Chad? Hi, Chad. Happy birthday. It's Chad's birthday today. You should sing to him, you know, after, after church. Please do that. <clears throat> we're, we're, we love each other here. It's a good thing. Um, I invite you this morning as we look at... Um, something that I think every one of us can relate to. I want you to take your Bibles and to turn to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, in the pew in front of you, and uh, you can find that either on page 258 or page 348. Two, or excuse me, 285 or three. 48, 285 or 348. And if you do not have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Christmas just keeps giving. Uh, please take that, enjoy that, and, uh, and, and use that in, in your life. This morning, I want us to, to look at this passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be looking at the life of Elijah. Quite frankly, 
Um, I love it whenever Tim and I uh, get to meet. We didn't get to meet this week. And he'll take sermon ideas that I have uh, for one sermon, and he'll break it up into a complete series. And so this is a series that I started last year on the book of, on uh, the, uh, the subject of, uh, of, of Elijah. And I think it'll be something that we can take with us and gain some encouragement, some insight uh, to do. And um, it's, it's a funny thing as you read the scriptures, boy, you can, if you're honest about it, you can find yourself within the pages over and over and over again. You have to be going, God, what are you doing? But I want to talk today about uh, our behavior and sometimes our, our, our default behavior. I, I had a, a relative, um, I won't say which relative it was, but I had a, I had a relative growing up that um, he was a little peculiar, and it did not matter what the subject was that we were talking about. It never mattered what it was. We could be talking about the weather outside and how it's raining outside, and he would insist that it's not raining. And he would bring up the fact that, you know, somewhere in the world it's not raining, it's, it's hot, and, you know, there's actually a drought going on, and we're experiencing flooding, you know, locally. It, it was, he was just someone that constantly, I would say this is blue, and he would swear it was green, drove us crazy. And the sad thing was, was that over time, don't even communicate now. And in his life, he was marked by that. His default behavior was to come at everything from the opposite way. Just to make a point. And I really don't know, I really don't know what, what was going on and, and what caused him to do that. But I think we've all experienced that at some time or another. You just have, there's just, they, all the time. That's their default behavior. My default behavior, whenever I experience something at home, time to confess now. A um, couple of weeks ago, our washer broke down. It's got this message, you know, some kind of code that it was blinking on. And my default behavior, whenever it comes to seeing that, oh no, what do I do? I have no clue. And so I would try and go online and look up what that code meant, because you're supposed to have a book somewhere, and I don't know where the book is. Uh, but what does the code mean? And, and so you go on, and there's these, like, fix-it websites where everybody and their brother can go and participate in the conversation and, and give you some helpful stuff to try and help this thing out. And I just look at it. I just want to throw it away. And so what do I do? I ended up getting, picking up the phone, calling Angela's dad, because it just makes sense to him. He thinks completely different. If, he, if something breaks down at, at his home, he's just like, okay, great. This is fun. I get to tear it apart. I'm afraid to take one screw out because I don't know where it'll go back in and I'll, I'll lose the screw. Where does it go back in? It doesn't make sense at all. In fact, it, it was uh, right before we were about to sell our house and move over here, I had bumped, uh, you know, the little sensor thing um, on the bottom of your garage door has the little light that shines across, and I guess they meet or something. There's some, something happens there. And if you walk across, it goes back up. 
I was moving, you know, I was sweeping, sweeping the garage out, you know, because cleaning the place up, making it nice and all that. And I bumped the thing and it like fell off. And I was just like, what do I do? You pick it up and you slide it back on the little thing and it didn't work. I was like, I don't know what to do. What's going on here? And I wiggled the wires a little bit, and the light came back on. I was like, yes, it's fixed. And so um, mashed the button. Yeah, it went down, mashed the button. It went back up. And I was like, yes, I fixed something. It was awesome. It was a great feeling. It wasn't, but a little bit later, I was continuing to sweep, and I bumped it again. (laughs) Same thing, plop off. Hey, I've got this. It's easy. Fix it. Wiggle the wire a little bit wiggle the wire a little bit, wiggle the wire, and it comes completely out. I'm panicked. The world is ending. We can't sell our house. It's not going (laughs) to... What's going to go on? They're going to make me buy a new new garage door because it doesn't work. This is a horrible crisis. My father-in-law happened to be at at the house, and so I went in there, and I was like, I got... I got some trouble. Can you please help me? And so he comes out there. He, he just, he looks at it like this and this, and he goes over and he picks the thing up and he takes the wire and he mashes the button. There's a little button or tab or something and took the wire and shoved it in and released it and then let go and ding, it, it, it's attached. Put it back in and it worked. I wouldn't have thought of that in a thousand years. <laughs> It didn't make sense to me at all. My default behavior when it comes to fixing things is it doesn't work. I probably shouldn't say this when I'm going to. My default behavior when driving down the road, it, it, my wife and my whole my boys, they just laugh at me. <laughs> sometimes I can drive fast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can drive fast. And, and whenever I'm doing that, and I realize that I'm doing that, most of the time, I don't realize I'm doing that, but when I do realize that I'm doing that, and I happen to see, you know, one of our local law enforcement or state law enforcement guys that, you know, they're, they're doing their job, I get really nervous <laughs> because I, I, I don't want to get a ticket or anything like that. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I'm driving, and I, I see that my default behavior as my wife is I will instantly take my finger, this is terrible, and shove it in my nose. <laughs> it's a nervous, it's, it's horrible. I'll, I'll shove my finger in my nose. Do you know why? Because I'm nervous, but I think if they ever see me, and I'm driving by, and they see me, you know, they're clocking, and they look at me, and they see, what kind of idiot is there with his finger picking his nose, and maybe they'll give me a break. Isn't that warped? I am so messed up, but that's my default behavior. I'm telling you, every time I'm riding down the road, ask my wife, ask my boys, ding, because it's a horrible thing. Now, you know what kind of messed up guy you have ministering to you every day. <laughs> The reason I tell you this <clears throat> is because we all have default behaviors that we, that, that we go to. And I want us to consider, <laughs> I, I want us to consider a, a, a couple of things um, when we look at the life of Elijah. Elijah, the story of Elijah is just absolutely amazing. 
God calls this prophet, you know, and gives him, gives him some pretty stinky jobs, you know. Uh, go tell the king, the king that has done things worse than any other king before him, and marries, uh, you know, this king that is the king of the northern ten tribes of Israel, um, supposed to be the people of God. He goes and marry, breaks all the laws, marries someone outside of, you know, not just outside of, of who he's supposed to marry, but marries a complete foreigner that's an incredible pagan worshiper, Jezebel. And brings her in, and he has all kinds of influence. Uh, Jezebel has all kinds of influence on the king, and country goes to, goes to pot. It's just terrible. And God says to go and pronounce this judgment and say, and oh, by the way, it's not going to rain for till I say. Have fun with that. So he goes and he obeys. And day after day after day, the skies are whatever they are, and it didn't rain. My friend would say, it's raining somewhere. <laughs> but it didn't rain, and there's this drought And for over three years, there's no rain. And God is bringing judgment upon the land, upon the people. And God says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to send birds to feed you. And you go drink by the river. How'd you like that? Then the river dries up because there's a drought, because there's no rain. God, what do you do? Well, I'm going to go and why don't you go to a widow? Go to a widow woman. And she's going to feed you and take care of you and sustain you. Okay, he obeys. And God performs miracles. And he sees miracles happen. You remember, the, the oil doesn't run out. The flour is, every day there's enough bread for the day. What, a, what an amazing, amazing miracle. Then the word of the Lord comes to Elisha and says, okay, it's time to go back and... We're going to have a showdown. Showdown between the one true God and all the gods of Jezebel. And so he alone confronts 850 prophets of this other gods representing Jezebel. And God again comes through and does an amazing miracle. Fire falls from heaven. You should read the story. It's, it's pretty amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then God says, hey, go and look and pray, and I'm going to send rain, because it, the people of Israel have turned their hearts back to God. And so he goes and, and he prays. And God sends rain. And God supernaturally enables Elijah to run 17 miles, and he runs ahead of the king that's in his chariot. He runs back to town. Pretty amazing. Now, if you or I were in Elijah's shoes, and we had, had just seen over the past three years, God come through every day giving you your daily bread. 
God actually sending fire from heaven and consuming the, the offering. And God, at your word, at your prayer, answering and sending rain. It would seem to you, to me at least, that Elijah's default behavior would be, I trust you. Right? Would that not be a, a natural conclusion? Yes? No? Is anybody out there? Yeah, oh, thank you. You're such, a, you're such an encouragement to me all the time. Thank you. Keep smiling. <laughs> we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. And this will tell you the power of a woman's word. 19 verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger, okay, to Elijah saying that, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. I.e., by this time tomorrow, buddy, you're dead. And Elijah was, what does it say? Afraid. Elijah was afraid. Did not he just confront 850 prophets? Yes. Had not he seen God respond miraculously, sending fire from heaven? Yes. And the woman threatens him, and he's afraid. Ladies, you have a powerful, powerful, powerful ability to strike fear into the men's of some heart, some of the hearts of some men. <laughs> a little fearful right now. And I want you to notice this as we read through this passage and think about some things. What I want you to understand is what James says. James says this, that Elijah was a man like us. So we can relate to this, all right? So we can relate to this. He was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judas, he left his, <clears throat> he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, he sat under it, and he prayed. He prayed this. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Let's just pause right there. Have you felt that way before? had enough. Tim and I were talking on the phone this week, and he, he said, I just want to turn my phone off because I'm having a great conversation with him. <laughs> he says, I just want to turn my phone off. Essentially, I've had enough. Come on. 
Lord, I've had enough. And that same conversation, I know, as I look across this audience, has happened in homes and lives and in the hearts of a lot of us as we gather here together. Lord, I've had enough. And I don't know how many of you had the next thought. Just, just, just take me home. I'm done. Just take me home. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he crashes. He lays down and he sleeps. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He, took, he looked around. There was by his head a, a cake of bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. Angel came back to him a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. The journey is too much for you. Now, where did the angel come from? The angel came from God. What did the angel do? The angel provided what? Strength, nutrition. In the middle of his crisis, true? The angel sent by God came and ministered. And he slept. And he's on this journey. Now, the, the, the commentators and people much, more, much smarter than I am kind of argue. Elijah didn't know where he was going. He was just wandering around. He's on this journey. Others say that he was purposely going to a point. Others say that God is not written in the text, but God somehow had commanded him to do something. All of those are on the table. Those are certainly possibilities about what could have happened, about where he is going. He's going out into the desert. He's running. I find it very interesting as we look at the scripture, verse, verse 8. So he got up and he ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached where? Horeb the mountain of God. Did you know the area called Horeb has another name? It's called Sinai. It's the mountain of God. Do you remember what happened at Sinai? Maybe you've never read it and you don't know, but Sinai is the place where God came and revealed himself to Moses. God revealed himself as the great I am, the one who can sustain you, the one who can take care of you, the one who can, who has existed and always will exist and always will be God, the most holy name of God, I am. And in that same mountain area, God took the children of Israel and came and met with them. And it's interesting, if you read in the book of Exodus, <clears throat> excuse me, Exodus and in Deuteronomy, the reflections uh, that Moses was writing, it says that the children of Israel came and they stood under the mountain. 
And God met with Moses and gave the Ten Commandments, gave the law, and revealed to Israel his great name, what he was about, and how they were supposed to live and represent him to the whole world. And this is where Elijah runs to. He runs to the rock. Now, I don't know, I can't say, like I said, commentators give different, different reasons. It was a holy place to the Israelites. It was a holy place for them. And perhaps he thought, God has sustained me all this way. I'm scared to death. I don't know where else to go, but I'm going to go to the most holy place I can think of that's safe. It's not in town. I'm running to the rock. I don't know. I do know that he ran to the rock. And it seems as if his default behavior was, first of all, fear, and then I'm headed to the rock. And a couple questions for you as we think about this. When faced, not by Jezebel saying, I'm going to kill you tomorrow, but when faced with the daily grind of life, When faced with another phone call from the doctor. When faced with a crisis that's on our hands. When faced with fear, doubt, struggle, discouragement. What is your, what is my default behavior? What do I do? Who do I talk to? Who do I lean on? My default behavior driving down the road. Ching. My default behavior in the middle of certain, certain situations is to be quiet and even step back and withdraw. Sometimes my default behavior can be fear. What about you? Some people's default behavior is, I want to fight. There's this obstacle that's in front of me, and I'm just going to sink my teeth into it, and with everything I have, I'm going to fight. Some people just want to run away, and they will try to escape through Drug abuse, alcohol abuse, whatnot. Some will, will escape through, I'm just going to play. I, I, I'm going to go. Some will go spend money. What's your default behavior whenever you're faced with a crisis, when you're faced with, with something that comes on? What's your default behavior? That has really, really gripped me in the past week as I've talked with a number of you. As I've prayed for many of you. As we have heard of your pain. As we have heard of your struggle. As we have heard of obstacles, disappointment. Let's look at the scriptures. I want to show you something. 
the angel of the Lord came, verse 7, and said, get up and eat. The journey's too much for you. So he got up and he traveled, strengthened by the food for 40 days, came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and he went in and he crashed again, spent the night. And then God comes and talks to him, says this. This is interesting to me. Have, have you ever, have you ever as, a, as a, for those of you that have kids, have you ever said this to, to your child? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? For whatever reason. Sometimes kids are just being kids and they do kid stuff like adults do as well. Sometimes we just do stupid stuff. What are you doing here? This is a, hey, you've run away. I found you here. You're experiencing some trials. You're experiencing some discouragement. What are you, what are you doing here? And God is trying to get Elijah to take an honest look in the mirror. And what are you, what are you doing here? And Elijah responds. I mean, here, here it comes. He just, it just, it just comes out. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They broke down your altars. They put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one that's left. They're trying to kill me as well. That's a crisis, people. That's a struggle. And God smacks him upside the head. Is that what the scripture says? No. And God makes fun of him. No. God says, come here, I want to show you something. He says, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, because I'm going to walk by. I'm just going to pass by. Great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. Why wasn't the Lord in the wind? Because the Lord was controlling the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came uh, the fire. The Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came, there came a what? A gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. This is how our Father, our God, treats us when we're in the middle of crisis. What are you doing here? Let me, let me show you something. And it's as if he puts his arms around him and says, Hey, I'm here. It's okay. What do we learn in Tim's, Tim's series? Your father knows. Your father knows. He, he already knows what you're struggling with. He knows. There came a gentle whisper, verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cage. And the voice said to him again, what are you, what are you doing here? And it's almost as if he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get it. 
It's a repeat. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. Don't you get it, God? What does James say? Elijah is a man just like us. How many times have we not got it? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. God, do you understand? Do you understand? Do you, do you care? And we forget. Three and a half years of faithfully sending food every single day. We forget the fire falling. We forget the answer to prayer. We're so human and we're so alike, Elijah. And our default behavior is to run away. <coughs> Excuse me. It's to hide. But Elijah ran to the rock. He ran to the rock. And this is what happens. The Lord says to him, essentially, I've got a mission for you. I've got something for you to do. A couple of lessons very quickly for us to to draw from this. Most of the times if we're at a low point, we don't have the best of judgment. When we're at a low point physically or spiritually, we don't have the best judgment. But after resting, we must meet with God. We must meet with God. The angel came and said, here, have some food, Get some rest. The journey is too much for you. And if, if, if God gave us the eyes to see the journey that we walk on, we'd be going, I can't, I can't do this. You just think about where God has taken you over the past three months, three years. God has walked with us. And probably one other thing is that what happened to Elijah here is that he was transformed spiritually because God gave him somebody to do stuff with, someone to walk with him called Elisha. Elijah and Elisha walking together. And the lesson is that we're spiritually transformed because you see, as you you go on, we're not going to go there. But Elijah continues to do the ministry that God called him to do in a beautiful way. But he's much more effective because he's got somebody going with him, someone doing something with him. We must run to the rock. We must run to the rock. We must run to the rock. I had a little fun on Facebook uh, I guess it was, I don't know, it was Thursday or Friday, I, I posted the lyrics to a song that I sang in choir with uh, one of my choir groups. And it, I can't even remember all the lyrics, it's been so long ago. Something to the effect of, where do I go when no one wants to listen? Who do I talk to when no one seems to care? Who do I lean on? 
in a time of tribulation, a time of trouble. And I just kind of left that there. Some of my old college buddies responded, oh, what great memories. Because <clears throat> it was an old, uh, old Negro spiritual that, uh, that we sang. It was, it was fun. I also had a friend that responded to me, sent me a private message, which was just like, are you okay? You sound really down. <laughs> I responded back to him. I said, no, it's just a little teaser about what I'm going to be talking to. So the next day I put on there, said, I go to the rock, the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone, the stone the builders rejected. I run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. When the earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock, and I can see Mike Baldwin up there, big, big black brother singing. And all of us, a lot of years ago, in our choir outfits, standing. We go from church to church to school to school singing that song. It was always a favorite. But the truth of the song has just gripped me. It's been going through my head at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning as I've been chewing on this and will continue to do so. When we're faced with things that we don't like, and I... I, I, I these are, this is a hard message to preach because I know, I know that I'm going to face this. It's hard to preach because I know, you know, Tim, we preach these kind of things and next week something else rolls out and we have to, we have to actually do what we've been preaching. We've got to go to the rock. We have to go to the rock. Quick question. What's your default behavior when faced with trials? Do we run away? Do we hide? Do we get angry? Do we want to fight? I trust that as we respond in our flesh as we normally do, that we'll be reminded again and again, we must, we must, we must run to the rock. The rock of Jesus Christ because he is our only safety. He is our only security. And we can think that we're all alone. And Elijah was. He left his servant. He was all alone in the desert. But he wasn't because God was with him. And then God called someone to walk with him. We must run to the rock. We must. Now, before I pray, I want you to do something with me. I want you to look around. <clears throat> I want you to look around right now. You can turn your head. I want you to look around. Do you see people in here? Do you know their lives? Do you know the pain? Do you know the struggles that they're having? If you say, no, I don't know that, well, then we need to get to know, know each other better. 
Because I can look at some of your faces and go, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Shame on me. I need, to, I need to engage with someone. But there are a lot of people that I know that there's pain, that there's hurt. I know there's struggle. And I want to, and you should want to. Look around. Look. Let's walk with each other. Let's walk with each other. And when it's overwhelming, let's run to the rock. Let's run to the rock together. Because when we come to him, he'll say, hey, I've got something for you. He'll feed you. He'll provide for you on the way. And then when you get there, he's got a mission for you. He's not done with this. Why? Because you're still here. I'm still here. Praise the Lord. Let's chew on that this week. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a beautiful illustration in scriptures of someone that we can relate to. Someone like Elijah that struggles. Someone that was discouraged. And yet someone who you sustained and you loved and gave mission to. And Lord, may we always be reminded that you do not let us go. You do not let us go. And as we run to you, Lord, may that become our default behavior when we struggle, when we fear. May that become our default behavior when we're experiencing victory and we don't forget to thank you. When things are great, Lord, help us to run to you. When things are, are not so great, Lord, help us to run to you so that in all things we'll be acknowledging you in our lives. And Lord, remind us, because we are so frail, we're so human, we're so like Elijah. Oh God, please remind us that you never let go, even when it seems that we're all alone. In Christ's name I pray, amen.